Turn to Genesis chapter 1, our topic, racism and equity. It's a big hot topic today, racism and equity, biblical solutions. So we're going to look at what, what does the Bible have to say about racism? What does the Bible have to say about equity? <clears throat> and you'll understand why I do this in a moment because I'm going to discuss this verse. Um, God created man, and, this is 127. Genesis. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Racism, we are told, by President Biden, this is very recent, and the Democrats, is the greatest problem facing America. Oh, it's terrible. The greatest threat to Americans, they argue, is terrorism from white supremacists. Now, I remember 9-11. I remember Timothy McVeigh. He wasn't, he wasn't a white racist. He was just a nutcase. But uh, I, don't, I can't recall any uh, white supremacist terror attacks in the last uh, 30, 40 years. I'm sure there are probably some I don't know about. But The Marxists preached class guilt and taught that the only solution was massive government control over area of life. And they still teach that today, and Bernie Sanders and these kind of people preach this. The Democrats today, their strategy, they preach white guilt and argue that education, government policy, and economics must be controlled by the state so that everyone can have equity, as defined by socialists. While our founding documents advocate equity uh, or equality of opportunity and equal treatment of everyone. All men are created equal. Now I know there's consistent inconsistencies because slavery existed and uh, for the sake of uh, determining congressional districts, black, black slaves were not counted as a whole person. There were inconsistencies. We know that. But in general, they had a Christian world and life view. The doctrine of equity is Marxist and seeks equality in outcome, irrespective of morality, one's seeking of education, one's hard work, and one's intrinsic abilities. For example, mental intelligence, um, one's creativity, physical abilities. Okay, all men are created equal. They're equal in the eyes of God. They're ontologically equal, but they're not equal as far as gifts. They're not, you know, some men are very smart. Some men, I know people that are amazing artists. I know people that are amazing musicians, just natural musicians. Others are not. We have different gifts. Women are better at certain things than men. So equality of ontologically of being, but not equality uh, uh, of gifts. Now, the doctrine of equity, coupled with a supposed universal white guilt for slavery and institutional racism, is one of the main reasons that criminal law in democ democratically controlled cities has become pro-criminal and anti-victim. And the basic idea is, is that the criminal's a victim. They're victims. And therefore, for example, in California, if you don't steal over, I forget what it is, $950, uh, it's not even a felony, and they don't even prosecute you. So all these stores are closing in San Francisco because they can't stay in business because of all the theft and crime. But they look at criminals as victims. And you deserve to get robbed. You're, 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 uh, you're white. 
and you're you're prosperous because you're white. That's the argument. <coughs> the assumption of progressives or left-wing Democrats is that if there are too many blacks in prison, it cannot be because they are disproportionately committing crimes, but must be from institutional racism and a lack of equity. That's the presupposition. And we know from statistics and I didn't. I was busy this week. I didn't take the time. I have Thomas Sowell, who's written on this extensively. He's amazing, and of course, I have uh, uh, Charles Murray's great book. The result of such insane policies is a great rise in crime, and a flight from large Democratic-controlled cities. And these are beautiful cities: San Francisco, Portland, New York City. Portland's gorgeous. San Francisco's beautiful. Seattle's beautiful, and they're becoming hell holes because of policy because of equity. In the name of fighting racism, Democrats are teaching a radical form of racism against white people and are training children in schools and they're training blacks, they want blacks, both to hate America and to hate white people who are supposedly an evil oppressing class. So they've taken the paradigm of Marxism where if you're of a certain class, you're automatically evil, you're automatically oppressors, and they've just applied it to race. That's what they've done. For the sake of obtaining more political power and having more government control over every area of our lives, the Democratic Party is advocating a radical form of anti-white racism. And you see uh, Biden. It's it's January 6th. It's, it's, it's all this anti white supremacy stuff constantly and constantly and constantly, which is actually a, a very minor problem compared to, you know, like China or Russia or Muslim terrorists, etc. <clears throat> Ironically, those who claim to be fighting racism and injustice in the country, the Democratic Party in particular, some Republicans are horrible, but they're not near as bad as the Democrats, are actually the greatest proponents of racism and injustice in this nation. And we'll see why in a moment. They inflame hatred for the purpose of political power based on a class warfare tactics of Marxism. Now, having briefly noted our current situation, we need to point out that racism of any kind is wrong, immoral, and it does still exist. I'll never forget, before I was a Christian, I was partying with my friends in an apartment, and we heard a big, giant party in a large two-bedroom apartment below our apartment, his apartment. We were partying. We were potheads. We were hippie potheads with long hair. And we go down there, and it was a, a bunch of neo-Nazis. We go down there, and there's posters of Hitler all over the, the apartment. And there's copies. There's a big table with 50 copies of Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler. And, uh, of course, we were mingling with the ladies. And, of course, the lady that liked me happened to be the daughter of the head of this white supremacist group. And they were going to beat us up. And I showed him my license that I was German. I said, hey, I'm a good Aryan. You're not going to beat me up, are you? And he left me alone, of course. But we got, we got out of there very rapidly. <clears throat> so we've looked at our current situation. We acknowledge that racism is wrong. It still exists. But we want to answer some questions. The answers, the questions that we will answer based on the biblical world and life view is, why is racism wrong, racism wrong according to Scripture? Because Scripture does condemn racism. Why has secular humanistic philosophy only made racism worse? 
not better. And why Jesus Christ in the Bible presents the only real solution to racism and so-called questions of equality. We're going to look at that. The Bible has the answers. Christ has the answers, not the state, not the modern pagan state. <clears throat> Before we do these things, we're going to, a few things we want to do to clarify matters. First, let us define racism or racialism, race and racism. Here's the Webster's Dictionary, the big giant fat one, defines race as follows. Race. Race, family, uh, a begetting. Number one, any of the major biological divisions of mankind, distinguishing by color, texture of hair, color of skin and eyes, stature, uh, bodily proportions, etc. Many ethnologists now consider that there are only three primary divisions. The Caucasian, loosely, the white race. The Negroid, loosely, the black race. The Mongoloid, loosely, the yellow race. Each of these various subdivisions, uh, with each with various subdivisions. The term has acquired so many unscientific connotations that, in, in the sense, it is often replaced in scientific language by ethnic, stock, or group. And that's good because the old way of looking at it biologically comes from, we'll see in a moment, it comes from the old macroevolutionary view. to a population that differs from others in their, their relative frequency of some group or, uh, mar or genus. And we'll stop there. Now note, number one, the definition is, uh, is based on macroevolution, the idea that it's a biological difference. It's really unscientific. Okay? If you're part of the human race, you're all humans. There are no major biological differences other than surface things. Different ethnic groups have different surface physical characteristics, different hair type or color, skin shade and color, propensities regarding the shape of the nose, and the color of the eyes. These are all surface distinctions and not true biological differences, like an extra organ or having more fingers or being, you know, walking in a completely different way, like the difference between like, like a bird and a lizard. So they're, they're ethnic differences. They're surface differences, but humans are humans. There's one race, the human race. Racism is a program or practice of racial discrimination, segregation, persecution, and domination based on racialism. And we would add judging people solely based on the color of their skin and not on their conduct, character, or faith. And that's the way it was. It used to be in the South, you know. Blacks can't drink from this fountain. They can only drink from that fountain. Blacks can't use this restaurant. They can only use that restaurant. Segregation. Judging people by the color of their skin, not by their character, which is totally immoral. <clears throat> Racism and ethnocentrism has been common among many nations and tribes throughout history. The Jews in the time of Christ viewed Gentiles and Samaritans as intrinsically inferior. And that was really more of a cultural or religious thing. The Greeks and Romans viewed other people as filthy barbarians. And due to the fall and our sinful natures, racism has been a problem throughout history. When I went to seminary, I went to se se seminary in Philadelphia back in the late 70s. And we had all these guys from Africa. Not a whole lot, but they, they were from different... And they hated each different tribes. 
oh, hey, Brian, be careful of that guy over there. He's from the Ngawa tribe. They're a terrible people. So this ethnocentrism exists everywhere because of sin, because of man's fallen nature. Due to the fallen or sinful natures, racism has been a problem throughout history. Second, we must acknowledge that many professing Christians in our nation in the past were guilty of racism, especially connected to their acceptance of chattel slavery, not indentured servitude, not the temporary slavery in the Bible, which was used for people in dire poverty, where they would work for a certain for six years and then pay their debts and get out of debt and get tools, which is a very good thing for dealing with poverty and, and crime and so forth. <clears throat> Both the North and the South were profoundly racist for centuries, and thus were radically unscriptural. In Southern churches, blacks were not allowed to sit with whites in church which was totally unbiblical and violated the gospel principle that we, that is, all ethnic groups who believe in Christ, are one in Jesus Christ. And if you've ever seen that movie um, with Gregory Peck, what's that movie called? Yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird. Even in court, the blacks sat on, up, up on the balcony and the whites sat down below. And that was true of all churches were segregated. And now, if you go to the South now, if you, well, if you go all over the country now, Generally speaking, you have black churches and white churches, and they're, they're segregated. Although big mega churches, there's a mix. And of course, my church, the church that I had when I lived in Michigan, we had a black elder, really solid, solid guy. <clears throat> now, due to a neglect of God's law, Christianity and chattel slavery were regarded as compatible by most professing Christians until at least the eighteen, uh, the seventeen seventies. Now the, the the Covenanters, the Reformed Presbyterians, were an exception, and they uh, they made a ruling that anybody who owned slaves had to set them free, and if you didn't set them free, you'd be excommunicated. And that goes way back, at least back to 1800. The point we need to emphasize here is that one must never confuse a heresy, a corrupt teaching, an unbiblical ethical living, uh, unbiblical ethical living practiced by professing Christians with the Bible itself or the true Christian world and life view. The Roman Catholics in the Middle Ages did some terrible, horrible, immoral things. And a lot of the popes were like mafia bosses, and they were committing murder, and they were having sex orgies and so forth. You can't judge the Bible and biblical Christianity by the sins of professing Christians. You just can't do that. You know, that's, that's what pagans do when they try to discredit Christianity, as they point out how rotten Christians can be. Well, that, that's irrelevant. The Bible's perfect, God is perfect, and Scripture is inspired. Christians are sinners who at times believe stupid things and act unbiblically. But this does not our effect, affect our view of the inspiration, perfection, infallibility, and sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture has the answers. The fact that people make errors in corrupt worship or corrupt the doctrine of salvation or corrupt uh, the view of uh, race uh, does not shed any negative light on the Bible whatsoever. It sheds a negative light on sinful man. Now let's look at the biblical opposition to racism. The Bible's radically opposed to racism. The testimony against Scripture is clear and easy to discern. And let us look at some of the arguments that condemn the old white race, racism against blacks and the current modern racism of many leftists and blacks against whites. And of course, whites are, whites, whites are taught to hate themselves today. 
and to confess, I'm a guilty of white privilege. Who, you know, had jobs as security guards making a minimum wage and working overtime to buy my first house and et cetera, et cetera, paying my way through school, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Or people who moved here after racism ended that are white, that never their country never had racism. But anyway, number one, the Bible teaches explicitly that all human beings came from Adam and Eve. They are all the same by nature as humans because all have a common ancestor who has created the image of God. We just read that. According to secular humanistic thought or atheistic naturalism, which is taught in all our universities, it's taught in all our high schools, it's taught in all the colleges, men are po uh, possibly descended from many different evolutionary sources. The original secular humanist scientists in the 19th century and early 20th centuries believed that differences between various ethnic groups was due to a different evolutionary background. Now, the, the, he's not so much in favor now. They said the other things died out and were, were homo sapiens, homo sapiens sapiens, and we all come from Africa, which is totally not true, but that's the modern theory. <clears throat> now, racism was part of a scientific dogma, and whites were almost universally proclaimed to be the most evolved of human beings. And I knew, I knew I used to know somebody who had all he, he got all these old scientific books from the late 1800s. He collected scientific books, and the stuff they said in there is so blatantly corrupt and racist. It's just unbelievable. Whites, of course, are the superior race in these all these books. These are These are supposed to be scientists. That's why you can't trust modern science at all. We should know that from COVID by now, <laughs> how we were lied to totally. <clears throat> so as part of the scientific dogma, whites were supposed to be, were universally proclaimed to be the most evolved of human beings. Blacks and aborigines were always placed in the bottom of the lists. The racism of secular scientists led directly to the eugenics movement, where American scientists and Nazi scientists wanted to do everything they could to discourage the breeding of blacks and so-called lower races. In America, eugenics led directly to the rise of Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood, it wasn't called that then, but it, they changed their name to Planned Parenthood eventually, which wanted birth control and abortion to be used, especially in the cities and the ghettos, the black ghettos, to help eliminate those who were less evolved than whites. They used to refer to them as human weeds. The founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, who, by the way, is a hero to secular humanists today, who's been praised as a great reformer, a saint, a champion of women's rights, etc., a heroine by men such as H.G. Wells, Martin Luther King, George Bernard Shaw, President Harry Truman, Bertrand Russell, Albert Einstein, President Dwight Eisenhower, and virtually all modern Democrats wrote in her book, this book is called The Pivot of Civilization, that, quote, human weeds in society must be eliminated. That's how she thought of blacks. They're human weeds. Charity to the poor, she said, must cease. Quote, morons, misfits, and the maladjusted must be segregated from polite white society. They must be segregated. They must be separated. She openly called for the sterilization of, quote, genetically inferior races. She was a hardcore racist and a totalitarian who wanted to use abortion, sterilization, and birth control to eliminate all inferior races from society. 
So that's the founder of Planned Parenthood. Because of her love of eugenics, she became closely associated with the scientists and theorists who developed the Nazi race purification program in Germany. Her articles in the Birth Control Review mirrored very closely the Nazi white supremacist doctrines. She even had Dr. Ernst Rudin, the director of the Nazi Medical Experiment Program, write articles for the Birth Control Review because of her love of the Nazi program. And what was the Nazi program? Get rid of blacks. Of course, they wanted to get rid of Jews as well. And anybody who's mentally retarded or who has a physical problem, eventually they, they should be exterminated. <coughs> the racist philosophy and push for eugenics was dropped after World War II due to the horrors over Nazi policy and the Holocaust. Now the primary purpose of Planned Parenthood is to help godless whores, sluts, and filthy fornicators to murder their babies. In this Holocaust, where over 65 million babies, unborn babies, they're babies, they're not chickens, they're babies, have been murdered in our country. And it's referred to as health care. Oh, the Republicans want to deny us health care. No, they want to say that you can't murder a baby. And murdering a baby has nothing to do with health care. You have to understand how the left has used propaganda extremely effectively, and they have the media on their side, so the propaganda, the lies, are promoted. Murdering a baby is not health care. It's, oh, I don't, want to, I don't want to have a baby, I'm going to murder the baby. That's not health care. Heinrich Himmler would be proud of this movement. It gains riches over the dead, mutilated bodies of millions of innocent babies, both white and black. And the percentage-wise, blacks get abortions higher than whites. And remember, 50% of the babies murdered are all women. So to say we care about women's rights, no, they don't. They're murdering millions of women every year. Murder. They're murdering them. Women. They're murdering blacks. They're murdering Asians. They're murdering Mexicans. So don't tell me they care about human rights or they care about uh, women's rights or they care about health care. It's all a lie. It's all propaganda. The point of noting the gross racism of modern secular science is so you can more clearly see that only the Christian world and life view eliminates the foundation of racism. If we're all born from Adam, we must not regard any race or ethnic group as defective racially or inferior biologically or genetically. If we are all created in God's image, then all men must be treated with love, dignity, and lawfulness. That is the foundation of human dignity. God created man in his own image. And when you murder man... You spit in God's face, who created man. If atheistic naturalism is true, and we all evolve from pond scum, then whether or not you are a racist really doesn't matter one bit. The rule of a chance universe without an infinite personal God, without any real transcendent ethics that are fixed, is purely arbitrary. Nature 
is red in tooth and claw. Okay, we live in a fallen universe. You know, I have a lot of birds. I have a bird feeder out in the back. And the hawks come around and they try to kill those birds. Nature's red in tooth and claw. And if racism, hatred, and violence gets you a leg up on your comp competitors, which is what the Nazi, Nazis taught, for the scarce resources of planet Earth, then Earth, then why not? In a materialistic chance universe where we only evolved, we're only evolved meat machines without a human soul, with only electrochemical responses of an evolved materialistic brain, in other words, we're just machines, there are no real rights or wrongs. You cannot really condemn racism. It's arbitrary. You may not like it. You may say it's bad. But you cannot account for why it is bad based on your own world and life view. Like all these atheists, these fool, complete fools, and they're just people love them because they're so intellectual. You know, Dawkins and I forget their names, but I've watched them. They, they're philosophical morons. They're only imminent, positivistic, arbitrary, evolving, changing ethical standards based on human opinions enforced by civil magistrates. Racism was considered wrong for about 60 years, and now Democrats have openly embraced racism. Not because of science, but because it serves a political need. They've taken the Marxist thing of class and they're applying it to race. White guilt, white privilege, reparations. It's a seeking of power. It is a seeking of a totalitarian state. Atheistic naturalism leads directly to nihilism. Life has no meaning whatsoever. There is no meaning. Statism, anarchy, and the unlawful death of millions of people, whether in the gas chambers of Auschwitz, the slave labor camps of the Gulag Archipelago, or the abortion clinics in suburban America. Abortionists have killed more people than Adolf Hitler did. Abortionists have killed more people than Stalin did. And Stalin and Hitler killed a lot of people. Solomon says, Proverbs 836b, All those who hate me, that is Yahweh, God, the true God, love death. And Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 19, 19b. Now, are you going to love your neighbor as yourself? If you would not want someone to cut off your arms and legs crush your skull, cut off your head, then cut your body into little pieces, and then suck you into a vacuum cleaner, and throw you into a dumpster, I would think you would be opposed to murdering babies. Because that's what they do to babies. They treat babies worse than they treat chickens in a meat factory. Although modern science no longer spouts the obviously rank racism of the early secular humanists, the intellectual elites and their religious followers, that is the Democrats in most black churches, about 90% of black churches, have adopted a new, thoroughly arbitrary, and irrational racism. The argument is that whites in the old European way of thinking is institutionally racist and must be condemned and replaced with a Marxist concept of equity 
that presupposes that whites and white European culture is intrinsically racist. Now, they don't put it that clearly, but that's what they're teaching. And this thinking is incredibly stupid, anti-historical, and evil for the following reasons. A. Every race or ethnic group descended from Adam is fallen and has terrible, unjust things in their history. Every race, every racial group, or every ethnic group in the whole world has, is guilty of some great evil. The American Indians operated largely as large gangs of warriors that raped, murdered, and pillaged other tribes. They tortured people. They skinned people alive. They buried them up to their head and had ants eat them. Texas had a number of tribes until they were killed and driven out by the Comanches. Black African tribes were constantly at war with each other in Africa. And they practiced a brutal form of chattel slavery for thousands of years. They were primarily the ones murdering, pillaging, and kidnapping people who first supplied the Arabs and the Romans and the Greeks and later white Europeans with slaves. From an ethical perspective, all societies and peoples apart from Christ are evil and unjust. The Europeans before Christianity were heathen barbarians who practiced human sacrifice. They worshipped idols. And they constantly waged warfare against their neighbors. <coughs> That's what people are like apart from Christ. All races and cultures apart from Christ are sinful. The ancient Greeks and Romans, who are considered the height of ancient civilizations, practice widespread chattel slavery. Who do you think built all those beautiful buildings and monuments in Egypt and in Rome and in Greece? It was slaves. They practiced widespread chattel slavery. They worshipped idols. They had rampant sexual immorality. Now, the Western mind, after paganism, was conquered by Christianity, which was mostly a product of Christendom. Yes, there were remaining pagan and Greek influences from Roman Catholicism, I'm aware of that. It has nothing to do with race or skin color. It was a product of the Christian religion or the influence of the Bible. There is no such thing as a white mentality. One either thinks biblically, or one follows pagan philosophies or a mixture of the two, which is syncretism. Roman Catholicism had some good elements of the Bible and Christianity, and it had some terrible elements from Neoplatonism and paganism. The aspects of biblical thought that made Western civilization superior had nothing to do with race and everything to do with Christian ethics. Number one, the Puritan work ethic. We, we don't, we're not born to party and have a good time. We're born to work six days a week and rest on the seventh day. Actually, for us, it's now the eighth day, the first day of the week. We work six days a week. We're here to work. We're here to build civilization, Christian civilization. We're not here to party. Timothy Leary, tune in, drop out. Drop out of school. Drop out of this. Don't do this. Just party. Number two, the adoption of free market capitalism under biblical law. Free market capitalism works because it has freedom. It's based on free choices. It's based on just weights and measures. Now, if it's not under biblical law, it's abused and it becomes corporatism and it becomes all sorts of things that are unbiblical. 
But free market capitalism under biblical law is what lifted up and made Northern Europe and America the greatest nation, nations of prosperity. Three, the development of modern empirical science. That comes from Christianity. We live in a universe, not a multiverse. There are fixed laws. Number four, the view that imperialism and wars of aggression are immoral. Where does that come from? That comes from the Bible. If Europeans were engaged in imperialism and uh, terrible forms of colonialism, that's not the Bible's fault. They weren't obeying the Bible. They were oppressing people for the sake of money, and that's not biblical. And then five, the rejection of chattel slavery is evil. The Bible completely rejects modern chattel slavery. The Bible does have a form of slavery, but it's completely different, and it's not based on race. It's based on ethics, or it's based on a severe crisis where you, you're, so, you're, you're in such debt, you have to work for somebody for six years as their servant, and you get out of debt, and then you get your tools, and you set yourself up. And number six, the idea of a constitutional republic where individuals have rights directly from God that protect them from a power-hungry state. <clears throat> Christ is above the king. God is above the state. God's moral law is above the Supreme Court and is above the state. The state doesn't have the right to say that sodomy is okay. The state doesn't have the right to say that homosexual marriage is okay. The state doesn't have, have the right to say, if you want to murder your baby for convenience, go ahead. People have rights because God gives them rights. And I'm talking about rights in the biblical definition, not the uh, French Revolution and modern Democrats who make up rights left and right, which are humanistic nonsense. The problem is not one of race, either white or black, but of sin. How pagan and sinful is a culture? The more pagan and sinful, the more unjust it will become. To think in terms of race is the problem either by whites against blacks or now blacks against whites is totally incorrect and unbiblical. The word of God is our moral standard. Culture and societies must be examined in the light of scripture and God's moral law. The whole point of Democrats and black activists and of course white progressives speaking about white privilege and institutional racism is to treat their enemies as a class and avoid speaking about personal character and ethics. And that's why it's amazing you watch these conservative shows. And whenever you know, people bring up white racism and white privilege, and people, well, give me an example. Give me an example. And the people, they don't have examples. That's the thing about making a, cl a whole class evil. Like the kulaks in Russia, Stalin murdered like 3 million Ukrainians, some say 6 million. He starved them to death because they were evil. Well, no, they, they were successful farmers, and it, it was envy. It was hatred. It's nothing but a power grab. One can defend oneself if we are speaking about personal actions, responsibility, or character. But how does one defend oneself against an arbitrary and personal generalization? Christians do this, too. Oh, Brian's unloving. Oh, Brian, Brian's a, a divider. Oh, give me a specific example. Uh, 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 I don't have any. Brian did this. G give me an example. I don't have any. Generalizations are used to condemn people when you don't have personal responsibility and personal actions. It's no different than Marxists going after hardworking shop owners and farmers. 
The basic idea is that their prosperity must be built on some form of injustice. And who can fix such inequities? We are told that only an all-powerful state can straighten everything out. It's a power grab. It has nothing to, really to do with race. It's all propaganda. It's all a lie. Number two. <clears throat> Biblical law explicitly requires personal responsibility, personal accountability, and forbids favoritism to a class, whether rich or poor. Here are some passages that speak to the issue. In Leviticus 19.15, we have a law that teaches that everyone must be treated exactly the same under God's moral laws that, that are applied to civil law. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. In other words, social account does not consider into the factor. It's all based on what, they, what have they done? Personal responsibility. What does God's law say? The moral law of God is the standard of civil laws and justice. A person, whether rich or poor, weak or mighty, is to be judged solely in terms of God's law. Human subjectivity is left out of the picture. If there is to be justice and true equity, then justice or righteousness must be something objective, transcendent, above man. Once subjective considerations are allowed in, such as class or race or social status or how rough one's upbringing was, etc., then the rule of justice is no longer objective and fixed. It is up to the subjective opinions of the judge. Oh, you're white and you're rich? 30 years. You're black and you're poor? 6 months. That's injustice. That's injustice. Or the other way around. You're black and you're poor, 30 years. You're white and you're rich, six months, or probation. They're both wrong. When this occurs, which is regarded as justice, becomes political, uh, arbitrary, ideological. Some may receive justice, but many do not. Modern America is now so corrupt that left-wing judges do not even pretend to be objective. They don't even pretend to be objective. It's all subjective. In Exodus 23, 2-3, we see that ethics or justice are not determined by what is popular or by, by what most people think, but solely by God's moral law. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute uh, so aside that many to pervert justice. You're not to follow the crowd. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in a dispute. God's objective standard is the rule to be the rule over all men in society, irrespective of one's personal opinion or emotions or what is currently popular. Do most people think now that homosexuality is okay? They have no problem with fisting and gerbils. And the answer is, the God says it's wrong. It doesn't matter what you think. You may love homosexuality, but it doesn't matter. God has spoken. The idea that ethics and civil laws can be determined by majority vote, as in California, are we going to have homosexual marriage in California? They actually had a vote on it. It's not up to you. What, do we determine ethics by popular vote? Of course not. It's ridiculous. Or should be changed to fit current opinions about sexual uh, morality or theft or public dis uh, uh, deification? Uh, definition is a rejection of justice for a progressive anarchy 
and statism. Human judges are to treat every human being the same and must strive to faithfully obey what God's law requires. If this is rejected by humanists, then blacks will be treated unfairly in times of racism, such as the South in the 1950s and 60s, early 60s, and wealthy people will be treated unfairly as people shift to Marxism. Judges must render all decisions on fixed moral principles found in God's law. There's a solution to racism right there. There were whites in the South in the early 60s who committed murder, and they were not prosecuted because the whites were rank, filthy, rotten racists. And these people are satanic. Now, they may go to church, they may claim to be Christian, but they're Satanists. Biblical law explicitly forbids racism in that the law that defined justice was the same for the Jews and the foreigners or sojourners. Deuteronomy 1, 16-17. And I command your judges, saying, Hear the cases before your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with you with him. You shall show no partiality in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The foreigner, the non-Jew, got the same exact same justice as the Jew. Because ethics are the same, because God is the same. Exodus 12.49, one law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Uh, and see Numbers 15.15. 15. Here's Deuteronomy 24.17. You shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or the fatherless. Don't treat the wealthy powerful with more respect. Don't treat the poor any different than you treat the rich. Don't treat the, the poor better than the rich. Don't treat the rich better than the poor. It's all up to what they've done according to God's law. Once nationality or skin color or social status is irrelevant, Judgment is based solely on what the crime was committed and not on what race or class committed the crime. And this makes perfect sense, and it's obviously the only way that true equality of justice or equity can exist. This sounds clear and simple, but it was not the practice of the ancient Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians or the Romans. It wasn't. In virtually all ancient societies, penalties were... Uh, were more severe, were much more severe for slaves and non-citizens. Justice was two-tiered. There was the rich and upper classes had one set of penalties for the exact same crime. The poor and the slave had much more severe penalties for the same crime. And I, I did an extensive study on this in, in my book on natural law. As our nation moves away from the biblical worldview, we are returning to the old pagan morality or system of injustice and partiality. Okay, this idea, that the re it came in my book on natural law because these people say, oh, look at the Romans and Greeks had great justice systems. They were wonderful. No, they did not. If you were rich or you were a government official and you did committed a certain crime, you'd get the kid, kid glove treatment. But if you were a slave, your penalty would be super severe. Or a non-Roman, it would be different and more severe. There was injustice in the Roman Empire. There was injustice among the Greeks and the Babylonians. And all the ancient civilizations were unjust. And they were full of chattel slavery, too. Now, keep in mind that all law systems are based on one's religious presuppositions or ultimate concerns. When men abandon the Bible 
and the transcendent, fixed, absolute, unchanging moral values given to us by God, they become the gods of society. They determine ethics autonomously by fiat, because I say so. What's the law in America? What determines the law? Is it God? No. Is it the Bible? No. Is it Christianity? No. Whatever the Supreme Court says. Whatever the majority of the Supreme Court says, that's the law. If they decide down the road that having sex with children is okay, then it'll be legal. That's the view of our country. That's secular humanism. They determine ethics autonomously by fiat. The Supreme Court declares that homosexual perversions are now moral. They're good and thus legal. Therefore, we, according to their presuppositions, must accept it as good and praise it. But the great problem with turning men into God and allowing them to create positivistic law, that is law that's arbitrary, it's simply made up, is that men are partial. We're sinners. We need to go to God to get justice. They're often wrong. They make many mistakes and are often not objective at all. And you look at the Supreme Court. People who are selected by Democrats vote one way, generally. People who are Republicans vote another way. It's not objective. Their interest in underlying assumptions may be racist or Marxist or sexually perverse or statist. The Supreme Court declared that unborn babies were not really humans and they had no rights. And what happened? Well, millions and millions of babies were murdered. In, the, in what was it, the Dred Scott decision? What was it, 1858? They declared that blacks are not really human. And we acknowledge that that was wrong. Therefore, they could be slaughtered, the babies, and cut to pieces like chickens or a piece of meat. The biblical law is not only perfect, perfectly just, because it comes from God, a righteous, holy, and just God, but it stands above man, and it protects us from tyrants and fools like Obama and Biden and Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. Biblical law gives us freedom from racist, Marxist, and evil men and a tyrannical, arbitrary state, but not freedom from God. The social order created by biblical law distrusts men because man has fallen. He is a sinner and thus can never possess unlimited authority or power. The biblical system of ethics and civil laws limits man's control over law and other men, while stressing personal responsibility and genuine justice. I mean, the extreme form of secular humanism is North Korea, the Soviet Union under Stalin, Nazi Germany, and the farther and farther we get away from biblical Christianity and the Bible, the more and more we shift towards statism. According to the Bible, men are not to be judged in a certain way because of their race or their class or their social status. They are to be judged solely on account of personal acts or crimes based on God's objective moral law. It was totally immoral for racist Southerners to judge whites different than blacks, based on race. It was wrong for communists to assume that all people of wealth were exploiters of the poor. And guilty. That's the way Democrats talk today. Oh, the corporations, this, the rich people, the billionaires, the millionaires. Well, the question is, did they gain their money legally? Did they, did they oppress anybody? Did they steal? Did they commit fraud? If they did not, leave them alone. It's their money. They earned it. It doesn't belong to you. You have no right to give them to take their money. 
It is immoral for the modern state to tax the wealthy at a higher rate than the poor. It's immoral. It's theft. It was first proposed, by the way, in the Communist Manifesto. If a rich person has committed fraud or lied to workers about their wages or refused to pay the promised wages, that is one thing, and that must be prosecuted. But one cannot make moral statements about a class or a race or derive laws based on a hasty generalization or some sociological presupposition or some crazy Marxist theory. That, by the way, Marxism was proved wrong while Marx was still alive. Marxism has been proved wrong way back in the 1800s. Gary North has some excellent lectures on Marx. And he shows that by the time Marx died, they all knew people economists and people who studied it knew it was completely wrong. But you have to understand Marxism and modern racism, they're religions. They're the religions of a, of a secular humanism of statism. For the Marxists, they want freedom from capitalism, which really means the state will own everything and control everything. And their version of freedom, of course, is radical slavery. It's slavery. Number three, Biblical law forbids the idea of reparations, which is common today among Democrats, or the idea that one's descendants can be punished for the sins of their ancestors. And it's actually worse than that a vast majority of white Americans never owned slaves. The vast majority of Southerners didn't own slaves. Slaves were expensive. You had to be wealthy to own slaves. Yet, of course, their descendants that never owned slaves, and even those who fought to end slavery, they would be punished. And blacks living in America today who have never been enslaved or have been oppressed by whites would get money. Deuteronomy 24.16 says this, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. Personal responsibility. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. If my father commits adultery, am I responsible for that? No. If my father commits murder, did I have something to do with that? No. If my great-great-great-grandfather great, great owned slaves, am I responsible for that sin? No. Absolutely not. The law treats men as individuals who are responsible for their own actions. The individual responsible for a specific crime must accept the legal punishment for that crime. His sons or grandsons or great-grandsons are not responsible unless it can be proved that they actually participated in the crime. Now, the only exception to this would be something to the effect that uh, your dad's a Nazi. And your dad goes in and he murders a bunch of Jews and he takes all their artwork that's worth millions of dollars. And then your dad dies and you inherit all this artwork. Now, you're not guilty of stealing it and you're not guilty of the murder. But you've got to give the artwork back. <laughs> okay? Give it back to the whoever's left of those Jews who were murdered. That's, that's completely a different situation than saying, well, you know, there were some people in the South 160 years ago who had slaves all whites in America now, even the ones who came here from Russia or Eastern Europe or Italy, they've got to pay for that. In addition, 
If one accepts the premises of reparations for sins or crimes committed around 160 years ago, then when does the punishment of a class or race end? See, whenever you hear something by some leftist wacko, some secular humanist, you drive their position to absurdity. Do we demand reparations for American blacks, for American blacks from black Africans who kidnapped their ancestors and sold them into slavery and also participated in slavery much, much longer than Europeans did? Shouldn't they pay? If, if white Americans have to pay, you got to go over to Africa and get their money too. What about Arabs in the Middle East? Or Italians or Greeks or, Roman, or Persians? Modern Iranians who had way more slaves and for a much longer period of time than white Europeans did. Slavery was widespread throughout the ancient world. What about Egypt? Who built the pyramids? Slaves. Of course, the blacks say that the Egyptians were white, <laughs> which is ridiculous. The whole argument is rendered absurd and unworkable, unworkable when analyzed objectively. The reason that leftists in America want to go after whites in America is their application of Marxism to the issue of race. They want money and they want power. They're thieves and they're power hungry. Therefore, they attack the prosperous and they want to use the coercive power of the state to steal on their behalf. But keep in mind that in the day of judgment, we will be judged based on our own record, not on the record of our great-grandfather, who we never met or knew. Our current generation is very active in confessing other people's sins from the past, yet they refuse to repent and confess their own sins. They're worried about slavery from 160 years ago while they murder baby after baby after baby and tell us it's health care. Now, slavery was evil. Chattel slavery was terrible. But it's not near as bad as murdering babies. Does God overlook our permissive laws with respect to sodomy, cross-dressing, and homo marriage? God is not fooled by wicked leftists and will not be mocked. He will judge our nation for its blatant rebellion against his moral law. The Bible contains a number of historical examples, by the way, that prove that racism is wrong. In fact, interracial marriage is totally lawful for believers in both the Old and New Testament as long as the person has faith in Yahweh and the blood sacrifice to come or in the New Covenant era, Jesus Christ, as he is revealed in the Scriptures. The Bible never condemns interracial marriage. It, con it condemns a Christian or a believer marrying a pagan. When the Jews left Egypt... They took thousands upon thousands of Egyptians with them who believed in Yahweh. They intermarried with the believing Egyptians. The original Egyptians were a combination of Nigratians and a branch of the Caucasians. The great influx of Arab settlers occurred long after Moses. Caleb, a leader in Israel because of his great faith and piety, was a converted Gentile, a Kenizzite. Genesis 15, 19, Joshua 14, 6. His family was incorporated into the tribe of Judah, Numbers 13, 6. So do they practice racism? No. They intermarried, as long as the other person had faith. Even in the lineage of Christ, there were non-Jews who had faith in God. Rahab the harlot, she was a whore, but she converted. Joshua 3, 1 and 21 and Matthew 1, 5 and Ruth the Moabitess.
Ruth 1.14-17 and Matthew 1.5. Moses, the most important person in the Old Testament, was married to a black African, an Ethiopian. Now, professing Christian racists, they call themselves kinists, they're a bunch of racists, attempt to argue that his wife was Semitic or Caucasian. But such a view is not supported by any evidence. If Moses' wife was Semitic and looked just like a Jew, why was she so strongly opposed by Miriam and Aaron? It's obvious that she looked different. They did not oppose her because she was an unbeliever or an idolater. They opposed her because she looked different. God struck Miriam and Aaron with leprosy for opposing Moses. Numbers 12.10 Now, if Moses had really done something wrong by marrying a, a pagan, God would not have backed up Moses. If marrying a black, believing African was wrong, would God have backed up Moses? By punishing Miriam and Aaron? God is not unjust. God does not a respecter of persons. Moses did absolutely nothing wrong. Interracial marriage of believers is absolutely allowed by Scripture. Not, it's not immoral at all. All those old laws in both the North and the South, they weren't just Southern, they were in the North and the South as well, that made interracial marriage illegal were totally unscriptural. Such laws were not even rational and they did not forbid an Irish woman from marrying a Spanish or Italian man. The Celtic peoples are a completely different ethnic or linguistic branch than Southern Europeans, whose languages come from the Latin root. They don't forbid Irish women from marrying an Italian man, but they'll forbid a white woman from marrying a black. It just shows it's, it's about skin color. It's not really about race. You know, The old laws simply reflect a racist view against blacks. Once again, the issue for Christians is, do they have faith in Christ, and do they have the fruits that evidence true faith? That is repentance, membership in a good, uh, uh, in good standing in a Bible-believing church, a solid church. Gentiles who have faith in Yahweh and the Messiah are incorporated into the covenant community. The believing people of God together with their children. See Romans 2, 28 to 29, 4, 11 to 13, 11, 17 to 23, Hebrews 3, 19. Caleb the non-Jew entered the promised land because he possessed faith. The Jews who were descended from Abraham, who did not have faith, didn't enter the promised land. So it's about faith. Believing Gentiles are grafted onto the one covenant tree, Romans 11.23. In Christ's body, the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek, Galatians 3.28. Believing Jews and Gentiles, Paul says, are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, Galatians 3.29. Galatians 5.6 and C6.15. For in Christ, Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. That is regeneration of the new birth. The issue is one of faith. If, you meet a, if you're a guy, you're a Christian, you meet a black girl, she's a solid Christian, go ahead. When the Apostle Paul discussed believers in marriage, his only qualification was that they had to marry in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7.39. That was his only qualification. A Christian can only marry another Christian. And the churches of the first generation often had a mix of Jews, Greeks, and Romans. 
They were multi-ethnic churches. Yet there is not one word from Paul forbidding interracial marriage. In fact, when Paul saw that the Apostle Peter and certain other Jews had segregated themselves at the love feast meal after church from Gentile believers, he publicly rebuked him because in principle it was a denial of the gospel of Christ and the spiritual unity of all peoples who believe in Christ. See Galatians 2, 11 to 14. And then we have faith, character, and success. In the Christian world and life view, the issue is faith. What does one really believe? And does one live consistently with that faith? These two are always connected, for true faith always results in a changed life that is lived consistently with God's moral law. The Bible describes this as covenant faithfulness. Now the problem with the black community today, and I'm speaking very general, is not white racism. White racism is currently far lower than it has ever been in our history as a nation. Especially in the South. The problem is the vast majority of black churches have abandoned biblical theology and the Christian world and life view for liberalism, both religiously and politically. In the beginning of LBJ's so-called Great Society, the intentions of the welfare state may have been sincere, even though it was highly destructive to black families. But the policies of the Democrats now, what they are preaching to blacks to get votes, is radically unscriptural and satanic. And here's what's happening. Here's their explicit and implicit message. Number one, you are not at fault for your own poverty and high crime rates in your neighborhoods. It's all due to white racism. It's not your fault. It's white's fault. In other words, do not take personal responsibility for your actions. Blame everything wrong on someone else. Now, when America was far more racist through the 1930s to the 1950s, the illegitimacy rates for blacks were far lower. In the 50s, they were 25%. Today, they're almost 75%. And today, whites are over 25% because of the spread of secular humanism. Two-parent households were far more common than then than now. Crime in the black communities was much lower. And there was a steady lowering of poverty in the black communities. Otto Scott, R.J. Rushdie's friend, who's gone on to be with the Lord years ago, but he was—he lived in New York, you know, like in the 1920s, and they'd sleep in Central Park. Uh, Thomas Sowell, who was raised, who lived in Harlem, they'd go out and sleep in the porch at night. Crime was way less then. The Democrats not only rewarded illegit illegitimacy with money, but also trained blacks not to take personal responsibility. If you want to get ahead in life, you've got to take personal responsibility. Blame your antinomian behavior on white people. For the Democrats, the answer is not acknowledgement of personal guilt, repentance, and the replacement of bad behavior with good behavior. It is other people's fault. And those people should pay me. They should subsidize my bad behavior. Number two. Salvation and prosperity does not come through faith in Jesus Christ and habitual obedience to God's moral law. It comes through faith in an all-powerful state who will coerce and steal on my behalf. See, the, the black community, and there's a lot of wonderful blacks, and I know black pastors that are super good preachers and solid Christians, talking generally. 
the biblical view is that covenant blessings will flow to those who keep the covenant. That is, they have faith and those who habitually live in terms of God's law word. This means the Puritan work ethic, six days of labor, one day of rest. One makes sacrifices in the present and works hard in the present to make sure the future economic situation is secure. You don't live for the day, spending money like an idiot. You save. You work hard. The righteous leaves an inheritance to his children's children. This means no fornicating before marriage, no adultery, no living together without marriage, no unlawful divorce, the raising up of children to believe in Christ and obey his holy, perfect moral law. The state says, look to me and be saved. The Democrats' position has been, you do, not have, you do not have to work hard or lead moral lives without promiscuity and unfaithfulness. Just vote for me. And the checks, the food stamps, the housing, the blame shifting can continue. The vast majority of black churches give lip service to Christ, but they hate and they spit upon God's moral law. You have to hate God's law to vote for a Democrat. You have to. About 90% of blacks vote for Democrats, even though they support homosexuality, which the Bible says is an abomination, cross-dressing, genital mutilation in children, baby murdering on demand on an incredibly industrial scale, socialism and rank satanic statism. These black pastors who support this, like that guy who won the Senate in Georgia, these people are satanic to the core. They've made a deal with the devil. You support my covetousness, my irresponsibility, my racism, my sexual immorality, my ability to murder my unwanted baby, and I will vote for you even though you are a habitual liar, a socialist fool, a thoroughly corrupt politician. Biden is about the most corrupt president in our history. The guy can't open his mouth without telling ten lies. And yet he got in there because of the black vote. They've accepted a devilish pagan concept of love as antinomian emotions, divorced from God's moral law and created reality. The humanistic concept of love and compassion, which is separated from biblical law and personal responsibility, denies the lordship of Christ and God. It makes man arbitrary, changing opinions and feelings the measure of all things. Such a view leads inescapably to the tyranny of men. It leads to an irresponsible, immoral people who have made themselves slaves to the state. In the name of love and human rights, they destroy law and order and build a power state founded upon propaganda of hatred and covetousness. They give their allegiance to the satanic beast and they work to destroy the homos heterosexual nuclear family unit, which is the chief pillar of civilization. Their humanistic desire to create or define what is good and evil is a desire to live beyond our responsibility as God's creatures and is an assault on biblical authority. Therefore, the key to social renewal among blacks is individual regeneration by the Holy Spirit and a true willingness to submit every area of life to God's moral law. The macro-evolutionary chance universe gives humanists their foundational principle that there are no ethical absolutes. Once this view is accepted by the intellectual elites and politicians, they wage warfare against biblical moral absolutes. The progressive left-wing black pastors are nothing but hardcore Satanists who give their love and allegiance to the beast. They are all antichrists. And when that guy was running for the Senate, Warnock or whatever his name is, Warlock or whatever, the guy's satanic, 
He was asked, would Christ be in favor of abortion? Oh, yes, he would. Christ is compassionate. He would be in favor of cutting off your baby's head and chopping up his body in pieces and throwing his body in a dumpster so you can fornicate and live like a whore. The state's biblically defined role as the protector of, uh, of borders, that is, for, from foreign invasion, and those who commit crimes, biblically defined, is replaced with the idea that everything is part of the state's jurisdiction. Remember, the state has proclaimed itself as a law creator, the savior of mankind. Anything the state believes will contribute to the good and health of a man must be controlled for the people's own good. Since the state's creation of law is essentially unlimited, the state's power and control is unlimited. It becomes the supreme state's supreme goal not just to control and suppress crimes and provide peace and order, just weights and measures, but to control all men. That's the Democratic Party today. They have no regard for morality. They have no regard for the law. If you're a Democrat and you're corrupt, totally corrupt and commit all kinds of crimes like Hunter Biden, they don't want to do anything to you. If you're a Republican and you sneeze, you should go to jail. Totally unjust. The citizens are viewed as cogs in a machine, with the state as the totalitarian master. This means that in their eyes, there can be no governmental spheres, family, church, school, or businesses outside of their control. There are no spheres of life which the state does not have the right to regulate and control because they do so in the name of, uh, of public health and welfare. The assumption of statism and the idea that the state is savior is that the state is somehow omniscient and omnicompetent. Because this is an assumption, the facts of the state's gross incompetence, continued errors and failures, great corruptions are deliberately ignored and suppressed by the mainstream media and left-wing activists. We keep asking, where has socialism worked? Where has Marxism worked? Where has communism worked? Which... Uh, what democratic policies have led to prosperity and more justice? And the answer is, it's never worked. It's always been a basket case. But they continue to lie because it's a religion. It's a faith. It's not based on empiricism or science at all. Faith in Jesus Christ in the Bible is rational. It is totally supportable by factuality. Faith in the state as Savior is irrational. It's a leap in the dark, contradicted by reason and empirical evidences. The idea that fiat, status laws, will save man is also rooted in the idea that people are stupid, childish, immature, incompetent, and thus need to be controlled by the state. For this reason, public schools are more propaganda, status training centers, and places of real education. They don't want people to know about economics. They don't want people to know about the real history, what, what history really is. Everything becomes propaganda. Everything becomes propaganda. You can't trust anything. In a society where the state believes it is the law creator and savior, and there are no ethical absolutes, the greatest danger in the eyes of such a state are Bible-believing Christians who teach that only Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and God's moral law is absolute and unchanging. The vast majority of black pastors are statists and strongly support Democrats because they have replaced God's law with antinomianism, and they have replaced Jesus as Lord with the state as their Lord. And you can go on there. I saw it on YouTube. There's all these black pastors down in Georgia preaching to their congregations. You make sure you get out there and you vote for Warnock. 
a man who believes in abortion, a man who believes in state theft, a man who believes in statism, a man who's satanic to the very core, a man who mistreats his wife. He's not even a good husband. He's not even a good father. He's a wicked man because of racism and their propaganda. They follow Marx more than they follow Christ. For this reason, they view evangelical conservative Christians as a great threat. Our goal and purpose as Christians must not be to look to the state as Savior and law creator, but to look solely to Jesus Christ and to work to establish a society where each governmental sphere works to establish a godly order, where Christ is exalted and biblical liberty flourishes. The Theological Training Center for Culture should be Bible-believing churches. The Basic Training Center and Welfare Agency has been and must remain the family. The family, in providing for its sick and needy members, in educating children and training them with proper biblical discipline, and in handling emergencies, financial problems, and disasters, has done more and is far better equipped to deal with welfare than the state has ever done or can do. The family follows biblical principles and handles issues personally, with proper ethical, spiritual, and financial oversight. The state handles things impersonally, with ethical, without ethical oversight, and thus teaches irresponsibility and dependence on an impersonal, satanic bureaucracy. The position of the statist government is to weaken and neuter churches and families so it can be all in all to everyone. The result is disintegrating families, pietistic, irrelevant churches, and large, uncaring, incompetent bureaucracies. I know many people have been, had problems, the crisis, they're poor. They don't have a family. They go to the church for help, which is totally okay if they're Christians. And uh, the church hands them over to the welfare agency. Go to the state. The status involvement, which is strongly supported by around 90% of black churches, weakens character removes biblical wisdom, and leads to a rise in delinquency and crime. To strengthen the family and support biblical laws related to the family leads to a decline in the welfare state. A state that weakens the family by taking on itself the God-given family responsibilities for education and welfare, or by weakening or limiting a family's control of its prosperity and inheritance, weakens and destroys Christian culture and long-term prosperity. The children, especially the oldest son, are responsible for taking care of aged parents, not the state. The parents' inheritance is to pass on to godly children, not the state. The children who support their aged parents and cares for them should be the main heir. Family welfare, education, and caring is a biblical obligation. And when done biblically, it contributes to a godly order, a godly culture. To set aside biblical principles and make the state the father and provider or the care for aged parents or the helper in a personal crisis is to replace the family with an impersonal, uncaring, satanic bureaucracy separated from biblical ethics and personal responsibility. That's what blacks are voting for. 90% of blacks are voting for that. To support such an unbiblical state is to feed the beast and give power to wicked anti-Christian Satanists. The secular humanistic state wants power and control, not just over our laws, but also over every aspect of our lives. It wants to control the way you think, and it wants to control even what you can say. Look at our colleges today, where somebody like Ben Shapiro, just, you know, like common sense conservatives who are just speaking obvious truths, are not allowed to speak. The Bible has a lot to say about caring for the poor, the orphans, and the widows, but it has certain rules that teach personal responsibility and eliminate an unhealthy 
dependence. <clears throat> the prime example is Leviticus 19, 9-10 and the laws of gleaning, which requires us to help our poor neighbor feed himself. Biblical welfare does not teach that a class of poor people are to receive checks from the government, paid for by coercive taxes, which turns the welfare recipient into a parasite or leech on the prosperous. No, gleaning a field requires hard work, and the property owner can deny permission to glean to people who are covenant breakers and criminals. So it teaches personal responsibility, and it teaches a man, you know the old saying, give a man a pole, teach him to fish, he can feed himself. It teaches responsibility. It teaches hard work. It teaches Christian ethics. The state does none of that. It teaches irresponsibility. It teaches immorality. It teaches you to be a racist. It teaches you to blame everything on the whites. And it's just as wrong for people to blame everything on the blacks. I'm against all racism. The Bible's against all racism. So that's just a picture of what's going on today. And I just wanted to do this because it's current. But I wanted to show you the Bible has solutions for everything. The Bible solves the problem of racism. White racism, black racism. God's law solves the problem of poverty. The modern state does not. It creates more poverty because it subsidizes poverty and it penalizes people who save and work hard. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you. Christ has the answer. Your Bible has the answer. Help us, Lord, fight against racism by preaching Christ. Let us fight against modern racism by teaching your holy word, your moral law that is perfect and righteous and holy and just. We love your law, Lord. We pray that black churches will have a revival, the ones that are liberal, the ones that are follow Satan, and that they'll bow the knee to Christ and stop bowing the knee to the beast, the pagan secular state that is satanic to the core. In Jesus' name, amen.